Welcome to The Wrap, a weekly podcast covering women's sports news. Bez, what have we got around the grounds this week? The Paddle Goat wins another gold. Two, actually. Bonnie Hancock has paddled around the entire world. Pretty much. Coast of Australia. And Netball Australia reject the big bid. For our key story, we'll discuss the questions around the standard of facilities and access for AFLW players. My name is Chloe Dalton. I'm an Olympic gold medalist and I play AFLW for the GWS Giants. Every week I'm joined by my co-host Bez, who runs everything behind the scenes at TFAP and also works in women's rugby. Bez, how are you today? I'm pretty good. Pretty good. Had a great weekend. You had a very sportful weekend. Yeah, toured the countryside, threw in a few wineries in Adelaide, watched some international rugby and some AFLW. Sorry we didn't get the win for you. Yeah, look, it was actually a bit of a losing weekend, I'm not going to lie. But we made up for it with a good time. (laughs) I'm glad you did. This podcast drops every Tuesday morning at 6am and also comes in newsletter format. So I'll put the link in the show notes so you can subscribe to the newsletter and hit subscribe on this podcast as well. Give us a review, actually. We'd really appreciate that if you could do that. If you want to get some merch, we've got our matching TFAP crewnecks on today, Bez. Um, Just an FYI for those watching along at home. We don't talk to each other before. Yeah, we didn't even plan it. We often do this. It's our pretty much entire wardrobe. <laughs> Very Let's true. be honest. <laughs> Let's be honest. If you want to get merch, thefemaleathleteproject.com forward slash shop. Let's take a look around the grounds. In paddling, the paddle goat. I can't wait for the return of the Darcy V artwork has been at it again on the weekend in Pau, France. Is that how are we going with it? doesn't even have a silent L. Pau. Pau. Fox won at the K1 on Saturday at the World Cup event in dominant style and was keen to back that up with a C1 gold on Sunday. But the C1 gold wasn't to be. She missed the 20-second gate and that error cost her nine seconds and was enough to see her slip from first to third, meaning she did take home bronze, a.k.a. Dirty gold. So is it a nine-second penalty for missing one gate? It's uh, significant. Yeah. Like Whoa. she just missed it completely. Like on purpose? Just went by it. Not sure it would have been on <laughs> purpose. I can't be bothered. Here's a new strategy. I reckon you should miss gate 22. <laughs> See how that pans out. <laughs> Her weekend did finish well in the extreme slalom event and it was more gold for the goat. She took the lead after the first gate and was never headed. This is the four people out of the BMX Bike. It's great. We love it. It's my fave. Those results mean that going into the fifth and final World Cup um, event in Spain next week, she has a a chance still at winning all three events overall. So double points are on offer in Lasso in Spain. And on the overall tally, Fox currently sits first in the K1, fourth in the C1, and sixth in the Extreme Slalom. Go Jess, you Did legend. You a question whether you were going to say slalom or slalom. Just you know, then. it's not I one of my favourite words. I could see your brain I really over. want to say that extra L. Slalom. There is an L, extra L in there. Yeah. English is ridiculous. <laughs> More paddling news. This time the paddling is a bit less chaotic but much longer and way more blisters on the hands. Ugh. Way more. So on the weekend, Bonnie Hancock completed a record-breaking circumnavigation of Australia on a surf ski. That's ridiculous. Yeah, followed Bonnie on Instagram throughout and just every update I just shook my head at. Yeah, same. Amazing. 
So a 12,700-kilometre lap. It started at Mermaid Beach last December. I think, did she start around Christmas Day? It ended 254 days later with an expected four world records and more than $65,000 raised for mental health charity Gotcha for Life. The former Iron Woman was faced with some of the most scary challenges, including whales, sharks, crocodiles, intense swells, and seasickness. Add to that some hype. Can I, sorry to interrupt you, friend. I just want you to rank those five things for me. Oh, okay. Sharks, absolutely number one. I didn't think crocodiles were going to be in there. Whales at the bottom. Whales are number five. They're, yeah, but what if they seem friendly? Breached and landed on you. That could kill you. That's a bit scary. <laughs> Seasickness would be gross because what happened? She'd paddle and then a lot of times she'd just like sleep and rest on the support boat. Yeah, she. there were times where she'd go back to land for four weeks at a time. Oh, goodness me. So I didn't actually answer your question, but they all sound kind of did. There was also a bit of hypothermia thrown in there when paddling the Great Australian Bite. So it's no wonder that she's very happy to be home on the sunny Gold Coast after eight months at sea. The world records are yet to be ratified, but it's expected that she'll hold four new ones sooner rather than later. They include the fastest person to circumnavigate Australia by paddle, beating German woman Freya Hofmeister by 78 days. Very German. That's a great name. Longest distance paddled in 24 hours by a woman, which was 213 kilometres off Cape York in July. The youngest person to complete the journey around Australia at 32 years old and the first Australian woman to circumnavigate mainland Australia by paddle. So impressive. Very impressive. She said that the trip showed her a side of Australia she'd never seen. It makes you realise Australia is a beautiful country. Throughout it all, she was raising funds for Gotcha for Life, a mental health charity which helps Australians to establish meaningful mateship, build emotional muscle and social connection. You can still donate through her Insta page or website to help her reach her goal. And I'll make sure we put that link in our show notes as well. And when asked what her plans are now, Hancock said she plans to relax at her favorite cafe, reading the paper and having some poached eggs. I love that. Same. I love that. I'd be the same. And I hope that she's reading all about her amazing accomplishment. I agree. In netball, on the court, the ANC wrapped up over the weekend when the reigning champions Victorian Fury faced off against the Southern Force from South Australia. The Fury were looking to win a remarkable ninth crown while the Force hadn't tasted success in a decade, last winning the comp in 2012. It was the underdogs led by co-captain Lucy Austin who finished with 38 goals from 40 attempts who claimed just their second gold medal since the tournament began. The Force were up by 13 goals early in the third term before the Fury staged an immense comeback attempt, almost drawing level with 30 seconds left on the clock. The comeback fell just short, however, and the Force held on for a 59-57 win. Victorian mid-quarter Hannah Mundy was named tournament MVP and in the bronze medal match, the Queensland Sapphires upset the Collingwood Magpies 72-64. Well done. Off the court, Netball Australia has rejected the $6.5 million private equity bid with Netball Australia CEO Kelly Ryan stating that NA had made its stance clear from the start. It would not be considering any offers until the state of the game review was completed. That review began two months ago and Ryan expects it to be wrapped up by the end of September, at which time the recommendations will be presented to the board. The Tier 1 Global Private Equity Group, which included former Diamond Liz Ellis, advised they withdrew their offer after that. Matt Berriman, who was the lead on the offer, said he tried his hardest to get the bid across the line, but Netball Australia refused to engage. 
Kelly Ryan did admit that they weren't totally against the privatization of Super Netball, saying that it would be considered if it is in the best interest of the sport. But for now, they're focused on increasing revenue and realizing the opportunity that has not been capitalized on yet. She confirmed, don't think you'll see anything drastic change for 2023. I'm forecasting one of the big outcomes to come out of the review is that the sport needs to be stronger commercially. We need to see how that pans out. I think obviously there's already been some chat around partnering with some betting agencies and things like that, which is something they've avoided in the past. Mm. They kind of broached the subject that that might be where they're looking for those commercial connections to come from, which is, yeah, it'll be an interesting couple of months, I think, for Netball Australia. It's, it's a really interesting one, right? Because if you had the opportunity, I understand there's a big difference if you do step into that privatisation of the league. But in terms of what your brand aligns with and the values of what you want to be promoting to these kids that are watching Super Netball, I would lean towards the privatisation over aligning with betting companies. Mm. Yeah, you know how I feel about betting companies. But the reality is if you look at our two biggest sporting juggernauts in this country, AFL and NRL, both heavily linked to, to betting organisations. So, But I think one of the unspoken things about that is the rate of gambling addictions, particularly for male athletes in those codes. It seems a bit counterintuitive, doesn't it? It it does. And if you're super netball, I would avoid that at all costs. My two cents. Love your sense. (laughs) Sometimes I don't make sense. (laughs) (laughs) Often. Often. (laughs) AFLW, big weekend. Round one in the books. And there was plenty to process after the weekend of footy. Starting on the park, we had umpire Emma Stark become the youngest field umpire to officiate at the highest level of the game after presiding over the Essendon v Hawthorne match on Saturday night. Stark is just 16 years old and the Northern Territory teenager was flowing down from Darwin with her mum. I love that. Mum, got to go on a trip. Uh, To take the whistle in the first ever clash between the two new teams. She started umpiring when she was 13 in the NT Football League and swiftly climbed her way up the ranks. Two years later, she became the youngest female field umpire to officiate a 2021 men's Premier League match at 15. She also plays in the NTFL Women's Premier League and it looks like a big decision might be on the horizon for young Emma, given her talent both as a player and an umpire. She said after the game, I'm not sure what pathway I want to go yet. The big dream would be to either umpire AFL or play AFLW. Like she's not, you know, just keeping her options open there. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was one of 150 female umpires from across the country who took part in the inaugural AFLW Umpiring Talent Development Day in June this year. There's been a big push for more female participants across all areas of the game and that will actually see the AFL season feature 26 female umpires, which is a 63% increase on season six and the most in competition history. Women will also make up 46% of this season's goal umpire list. More AFLW news. There were a pretty a pretty special story to come out of um, Hawthorne. We shared the video on our Instagram and one of their debutants, Sophie Locke, uh, her mum, Sarah, died of cancer two weeks ago, um, nine years after she was first diagnosed with breast cancer. It was a pretty cool debut announcement video where the coach, Beck Goddard, called her into the office and, and Sophie was incredibly emotional and had, I think, her dad and sister were there at the ground and got to give her a, a massive hug. But the coolest part, I thought, of the weekend, watching the game at Marvel Stadium between Hawthorne and Essendon, she kicked Hawthorne's first ever AFLW goal. Had to be. Had to be her, didn't it? Yeah. In front of the sticks. Yeah. Um, 
And it was a pretty cool moment. She kissed her black armband and pointed to the sky before being absolutely mobbed by all of her teammates. It actually made me feel quite emotional watching it. After the match, she told the media, she was definitely watching me. I didn't think I was going to get paid the mark, to be honest. But when I took it, I was like, oh my God, this is happening. When I went to kick the ball, I was like, do not shank this. But yeah, it was really cool. I was like, this was meant to happen. I did. I felt for her because I didn't realize who it was at first when she. I was watching on the telly and she took the mark. I was like, that poor girl looks like she doesn't want to kick it. She looks petrified. But I was very happy for her that she she put it through the sticks. She said she would remember her mum as someone who everyone felt comfortable around. She was just the light of the room. She was the happiest person, loud, had a contagious laugh, and you could tell her anything. She was just a great person. Just That's just some wholesome content right there. It, it really is, isn't it? Yeah, love it. In Rugby Union, Wallaroos improved on Saturday at Adelaide Oval but still fell short of securing their first ever win over the Black Ferns going down 22 to 14. So Adelaide Oval played host to the double header and there was a really good crowd of 16,000 people in yeah. to see the two women's sides go at it. I was, yeah, looking around, walking in early obviously um, across the, the river there, just a lot of humans. It was amazing. The Aussies scored first when 19-year-old winger Bien Tarita making her debut for the 15s team after a couple of years now in the sevens program, two years, yep. um, dived over in the corner. Unfortunately, the Wallaroos struggled to maintain possession kind of for most of the middle of the game, despite some big games from blindside flanker Emily Chancellor and returning number eight, Grace Hamilton. Struggles again at the lineout meant the Aussie backline didn't get the front football required to worry the Black Ferns. Uh, Tereda did finish with a double when she beat a number of Kiwis to score in the 79th minute. The Wallaroos' next game will be the first match of the World Cup, so they're opening the World Cup at Eden Park. Very cool. In just under six weeks' time, and it's apparently already sold out. I just was looking up Eden Park capacity, just under 50,000 people. From what I can tell on here, highest crowd records for women's rugby, uh, I think France v England was 17,000 people in 2018. I don't know if they've missed. This was as at 8th of April 2022, so there might have been a higher crowd since then. But Standalone. Definitely in the Southern Hemisphere, they're going to smash some serious records. It's huge, isn't it? Absolutely. Cool. In Rugby League, round two of the NRLW comp has seen a little gap open between the teams, with three teams opening their season with two wins each. The Sydney Roosters stake to claim as the team to beat with a dominant 28-8 to eight win over the Brisbane Broncos. The Dragons won a tight one against the Eels, 16-10, and the Knights sneaked past the Titans, 16-12. Snuck past or sneak? Snuck past. I think you can sneaked. I don't think you can. If you've got sneakers on, you can sneak. You can sneakered. The Roosters were the most impressive with their playmaker, Racine McGregor, finishing the game with a try assist, two line breaks, and 163 run metres. Dragons coach Jamie Soward attempted to put the favourites tag firmly around the neck of the Roosters, saying after his side's tough win, I think the Roosters were outstanding yesterday and they are the clear favourites to win the competition. The Dragons and Roosters meet at the new Allianz Stadium on Friday night and will be the first match played at the new venue. The grand final replay from last season might just be a grand final preview for this season. How cool is it? The stadium looks awesome. It's so good. We had an open day there over the weekend. Just going to be amazing to run out there for sure. And the girls, it's just great that the Dragons and the Roosters, NRLW, are going to be the first ones to do it. It's really cool. Love that film. Jamie, Jamie Sauer, Dragons coach though, that presser, he is, I love it, full coach 101. He is fully 
put the pressure on the Roosters and said, oh, look, we've got a five-day turnaround. They're playing at their brand-new $1 billion stadium. Like, my girls are just going to dust it off and get to training on Tuesday and then, you know, jump on a bus on Friday and see how we go. Like, he is – it's I love it. He, he talks a big game, doesn't yeah, he? I don't mind it. it. Love it. In tennis, the US Open has begun and all eyes are obviously on Serena's farewell. But last week there was a call from world number one Iga Svantec for parity when it comes to the tennis balls used at the tournament. Svantec branded the Wilson regular duty balls horrible. They're about two to three grams lighter than the Wilson extra duty balls used in the men's event, making it slightly more challenging for some women to control their ground strokes. The US Open is the only grand slam where the men and women use a different type of ball. In a statement last week, Amy Binder, the WTA's Senior Vice President of Global Communications, I'm sorry, can we just talk about why Americans have such long titles? <laughs> it's very it long. long. It's very it's long. a mouthful. Anyway, I'll stop there. Um, so the organisation was listening to player concerns and would explore the matter further. In other words, we're nothing. not doing anything. It's a nothing answer. It's so ridiculous that it's the only tournament mm. where they have different balls. It doesn't make sense. And so it's not the first time this issue has been raised. Mm. I remember Craig Tizer saying this. He was the longtime coach of Ash Barty. He went on the record after Ash won the Australian Open saying that Ash wouldn't be able to win the US Open with those balls still in play. Obviously, so I think it means the heavy hitters lose control of the ball, as especially as it gets a few games old. Mm. So Sean Deck has said she spoke with the WTA CEO and Chairman Steve Simon last year about the issue and said last week, maybe we should push a bit more. I stopped actually pushing and trying to convince WTA because the war in Ukraine happened and I refocused on something else. That's fair enough. Yeah, but honestly, any tournament I play with these balls, I don't feel well. It's a good description. <laughs> she doesn't feel it well. No. The ball or hitting it. <laughs> Let's move on. <laughs> Let's take a look at the key story. On Saturday night, the much-anticipated AFLW debut of Hawthorne and Essendon took place at Marvel Stadium. So the match, as we've spoken about, was moved from ETU Stadium in Port Melbourne after it sold out in a day. More than 12,000 vocal fans filled the bottom level of the stadium and the atmosphere from all reports was absolutely electric. Essendon coach Natalie Wood said she had no doubt the standard of the venue improved the standard of the football on the night as her Bombers claimed a 26-point victory. Post-match, Wood spoke about the venue saying it was a great atmosphere. It seemed like the crowd were really enjoying the spectacle. I think the fan experience is really important. I think that, you know, if we're working towards establishing a really professional product, then our members and our fans need to be able to come along and consume that and be a part of that and live that with us. So if that means that, you know, we need to be in here in order to get 12,500 people here, then I think that's the right thing to do. I like it. Players were quick to agree with those comments, with Hawks captain Tilly Lucas-Rod noting that the conditions meant they could play better football. It's really good having the roof closed. There were no conditions like we get out at Box Hill with the rain and the wind, and I think he saw that the skills were up because there weren't any of those other factors. I think it's a great point from Tilly because – if we look at the challenges faced by AFLW players at the moment, one of them is the fact that we haven't had a professional program for a very long time. And even these expansion teams, I thought the game between Hawthorne and Essendon was really good standard for two brand new teams into the competition. And it's one of those situations where any chance you have to improve the conditions, it, it makes sense. Like, why wouldn't you do it? Yeah, if you can remove the elements. Mm. It's definitely going to help the quality of the output. Yeah, exactly. In, in all football. 
Yes. An interesting one to address. The conditions on the field are not the only thing that the AFLW teams need to play their best football. Uh, It's pretty important to understand as well what effect the off-field facilities have on teams. Arriving at Marvel Stadium, entering premium change room facilities and warm-up areas are all factors that contribute to increased performance. Pretty stark contrast to the conditions that we were greeted with, uh, my teammates, the GWS Giants, on Sunday at Icon Park. So what's happened is they've done big renovations, so the main part of Icon Park, which is Carlton's home ground. It's beautiful, brand new facilities and everything, but they haven't yet finished the um, renovations for the VFL and VFLW change rooms, which are the team, the change rooms that away teams use. So in our change rooms, very rundown old change rooms, we had one gross toilet and tap. Outside, we had portaloos for our toilets to prepare for an AFLW game. And then after the game, after having ice baths in the change rooms, we had to be escorted across the field by a security guard in towels and sports bras to go to the indoor facility to be able to have a shower in a cubicle. It was probably one of the most offensive things I've experienced in my career as a professional athlete. I've been mostly fortunate that Rugby Australia put in a lot of funding to create a a purpose-built facility for us at the Aussie Sevens program. The facilities at GWS Giants are exceptional. We've got pretty much equal facilities across the men's and women's programs. It was it was offensive is probably the best word I can use to describe what it was like. We spoke it earlier off air. I've never said that before. It sounds really <laughs> professional. <laughs> we spoke about the um, difference between how many people they would have got at Marvel and how many they would have got at ETU Stadium and mm. how it might not have been a whole, maybe a couple of thousand different. And then we also spoke about the fact that the experience of match day at those two stadiums could not be more different. Like you said, I'm sure I haven't been to the inside of ETU Stadium. I've been on the field. I took the Super W girls there for a little kick right. around. But, yeah, it's a suburban ground. I'm assuming the change rooms are at suburban ground sta- status. Um, and then the facilities that are offered to the patrons are suburban ground as well. And, you know, as a fan at Icon on, on, on Sunday, big, biggest fan. Biggest fan? Probably. I didn't hear you, but you'd consider yourself the biggest fan. Do you know, there's something to be said for your dad being present. He makes me feel less self-conscious about yelling. Yeah. He's got a very loud, booming voice he in does. the stands. Shout out to Bradley. So, obviously, only one gate open, only one stand really open, portaloos for the public as well. There was one bank of toilets open, but there's also portaloos. Yeah, only two or three food and bev available. I heard I've seen on social media that the Gabba had serious issues with food and bev on the weekends. One one outlet, and they'll run out of pretty much everything by halftime. Yeah, for a few thousand people there. So I just think that AFL definitely needs to look at their game day experience. They're providing not only the players but the paying public. Yeah, it's it's all part of the bigger picture, right? Absolutely. So AFL general manager of women's football Nicole Livingston lauded the crowd and atmosphere across all venues saying all games have been fantastic this weekend and will continue to find the right balance between boutique venues and major stadiums for big events such as Saturday nights. Boutique is not how I would describe Icon Park. I don't call a Portaloo boutique. Shabby chic maybe. <laughs> so I guess my question for you as a player, okay, trying to think our way outside the box, understand that there's obviously large amounts of money going go into hiring costs for the stadium across across the country to perhaps make it more palatable for the AFL 
How would you feel about a double header, say, at Marvel Stadium? Of two women's games? Yeah. So yeah. it's a shorter time frame. You know, we've spoken about the length of men's mm-hmm. and women's games. You know, the patrons are getting double bang for their buck. They're getting the facilities. You guys are getting the facilities to play in as well. I think it's a great idea. And I think one of the major reasons for the season being brought forward is kind of that free air time, not having to compete with men's football, cricket for ground and things like that because we're not pay- playing in the peak of summer. So there should be better availability for facilities like that. So the men are into finals now. I'm sure Marvel will be empty mm-hmm. a lot. Mm-hmm. The player and fan experience needs to reach a, a level of professionalism to allow everyone to perform as you know as best they can. I agree. Let's finish the key story off with a positive news story that's come out of footy. Uh, so out of Canberra, Ainsley Football Club announced their intention to introduce equal funding for the men's and women's programs in 2023. The announcement in March was accompanied by a statement from President Lee Phillips stating, we recognise that gender equality is a challenge in many sports and we're hoping that by leading by example will shape opportunities for women in sport more generally. I love that. Great quote. Since the announcement, the club have already started making progress on their commitment and to date have started paying the women's Division One team, introduced a women's wellbeing coach, ensured a physio is present at every women's match and training session and reorganised reorganize the change rooms so that the women's team have their own space. Even that last one, you're like, it's crazy that that has to be pointed Mm. out. But anyway, great, positive. Let's take it as that. I'll let you, um, you've got your favorite quote here. I'll let you finish this one off. (laughs) The commitment to equal investment has not seen any cuts to the men's program. I love that. Love it. I think that's a bit of a fear for a lot of people. It's like, absolutely. what are we going to have to give up for this? Mm. And club leader Alison Flynn has highlighted that the club is receiving interest from new sponsors as well as growing investment from existing partners. She said it's not about cutting the same pie differently. It's actually about making a bigger pie. I love it. Make a bigger pie. It makes so much sense. And we all love pie. I love pie. Let's take a look at what to watch. It's a big match in the NRLW this weekend with the grand final replay between the Roosters and the Dragons the first ever game at Allianz Stadium. The match kicks off on Friday at 5.40pm and if you can't get to the ground, make sure you catch all the action on 9Gem, Foxtel or KO. Another Friday night banger. Banger. AFLW Season 7 continuing Melbourne Demons and North Melbourne Kangas, who both were convincing winners in Round 1, will play a double header on the MCG. There you go. Perfect. Great. Um, it's obviously before the Demons Sydney Swans men's final, um, and bounce off is five pm. You can <laughs> she snuck it in there. It's not called bounce off. You can watch live on the Seven Network, Foxtel KO, and the AFL Women's official app. In basketball, the WNBA has reached the semi-final stage, and the Seattle Storm, featuring Aussies Ezzy Magbagor and Stephanie Talbot, are playing in Game Two on Thursday. Tip-off is 12 p.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time, and the Storm will be looking to back up their Game One win over the Las Vegas Aces with another win. Go the Storm! Sue Bird retiring. Oh, it's emotional. Yeah, do yourself a favor. Watch some WNBA. You only got a few games left. The U.S. Open begins today. Tuesday, mm-hmm. and Serena will be on court for her round one clash at 9 a.m. today, Tuesday. <laughs> so if you are one of our early listeners. We've got people are bang on, 6 a.m. Yeah. We've got to make sure it's ready to go because people listen straight from 6. On the commute. Yeah, love it. Turn on the telly. Get Stan Sport on or the Nine Network. 
not saying that she might not last too long, but let's be honest, she hasn't been performing normal Serena Styles. Yeah. Could be one and done. Potentially. I so hope not. don't miss out. 9am on Tuesday, see Serena on Arthrash Stadium. And the organisers granted Serena and Venus a wildcard entry to the women's doubles competition. So those matches are also something you do not want to miss. I would love to see them win the doubles title. It would be very, very cool. How many have they won? 14? Something ridiculous. They I think it's about that. They haven't played together for four years, though. Yeah. How cool. Also, you've got siblings. I've got a sibling. Never played sport with him except for backyard sport. Mm. Like, imagine having a family blow up on Arthrash Stadium. It's The dynamic doesn't work in my head. It, how? I don't know how. <laughs> it wouldn't go down well. No, it wouldn't. <laughs> and that's the wrap. See you next week, Chloe. Oh, quick shout out. Sunday, Monica Oval. Yeah. Get there. See you there. Giants. Giants. The Lions. Yeah, it'll be a big one. Big Can't one. wait. Can't wait. Bye. <laughs>